0: middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world, Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This
1: is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be, talking about the best team in football, your Kansas City Chiefs, on episode 88 of the Keeper of the Games podcast, the only podcast focusing on sports in and, and around adventures to Wichita, Kansas I am Blake Cripps, joined once again by Tommy Castor. Tommy, that was an emphatic victory on Sunday.
2: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was the perfect game to get into our second annual holiday extravaganza episode here on Keeper of the Games. And, uh, you know, I know last year the three of us were on our holiday extravaganza together. It was a three and a half hour long episode. We had guest after guest after guest Uh, this year. We didn't need to go out and get a bunch of big guests and do a three and a half hour long episode we went back in time a blast from the past and i couldn't be more excited blake
1: i could not either we'll get to that in a moment we are still online cogsports.com cogpod on twitter cogpod.potomatic.com. best place for the audio as always the videos on youtube the audio is everywhere else spotify google apple and much much more Coming up on the show today, Kansas State heads to a bowl game, a KU football season in review, and we will also get you up to date with a little bit of talk on Kansas basketball, Shocker basketball. We'll ask Santa for something in sports, but first, what to my wondering eyes should appear? A wild Weston Mills has appeared on the Cogpod. Finally, Weston has come back to the Keeper of the Games podcast. Weston, how's retirement been treating you from the podcasting game?
0: Retirement life has been great. As I told you, boys, I am freshly back from Hawaii. Just spent a week out on the island of. Sounds Hawaii. rough. And it was fantastic. Definitely enjoying the full retirement from the podcast life. Um, and I'm assuming you all had me on because we wanted to get a full 45 minute segment on why Mitch Lightfoot should be playing more than David McCormick. Well, I'm assuming it didn't take that's long, to long, the to full. Don't forget that reason to have me on but no happy to be back boys uh glad i could make it for the uh christmas extravaganza episode Um, tommy what what's
1: the uh what's the over under on weston whip arounds in the show today
2: Oh, I think we're going to have a multitude of Weston whip arounds. And I got to tell I got to tell Weston on our last episode, we were prepping for you to come on the program by talking about Andale football winning another state title. Uh, So we were prepping. We We were getting ready in anticipation for you to join the show.
0: Well, I, I'm glad that you you've got all the bases covered because back to back to back, the numbers, the undefeated streak, the point. I'm sure you covered all that. I'm ready to rock and roll we, if we did. need a good 20-minute segment on Andel, but yeah. you know, don't worry. It's been a while since I've been on, boys, so there's a lot in my life that I'm gonna need to include in the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that that's for sure. I forgot the show is all about you, even if you're not a part of the show anymore. So uh, we did Love talk a little back. bit about Mitch Life, but we might bring him up a little bit with David McCormick as the Jayhawks won their last game. But of course, we begin today with the Kansas City Chiefs slaughtering the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. The week did not start so well for Kansas City, obviously. Very tragic news. LeJaria Sneed's brother was stabbed in Louisiana. It was a very, very tragic situation. He did not play in the game due to bereavement. But the Chiefs rallied around him. They won the game for him. There was a little bit of a vehicle trip around the Arrowhead Stadium last year by a certain team wearing silver and black that may have provided an additional bit of motivation for the Chiefs. And the wheels on the plane go up and up and they could not leave the runway fast enough at KCI for Las Vegas as the Chiefs pounded the silver and black to solidify their first place standing in the AFC West with a convincing 48-9 trouncing over the Raiders that was, by almost any statistical measure, the most complete performance by the team this season. It was the first time that the Chiefs had positive expected points in all three categories, offense, defense, and and special teams since Kansas city beat the giants. Only the third time it's happened all year. Chiefs have won six in a row, seven of the last eight, eight of the last 10. They sweep the Raiders in the season series. And Tommy, this had pretty much everything for you as a chiefs fan. You had a productive rushing game, 132 yards, three rushing touchdowns. Derek Gore and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire both got into the end zone. A return to greatness for Patrick Mahomes, 20 for 24, two TDs. No turnovers by the Chiefs at all in this game. He had a 139 passer rating. The Chiefs sacked Derek Carr four times. They limited the Raiders to under 50 rushing yards. Five turnovers for the Chiefs, including the first one of the game on the first play from scrimmage. So unless you count Patrick Mahomes getting sacked three times as a negative, which obviously the offensive line did not play perfect, but other than that, Tommy, this was a very comprehensive victory for Big Red.
2: Yeah, it was. You know, six weeks ago, uh, we were on this program or seven weeks ago uh, on this program talking about whether or not we actually thought the Chiefs were a legitimate playoff team. Uh, You know, they sat at three and four. Really, things had not gone the way that I know anybody in Chiefs kingdom would have wanted the start of the season to go. And since that time, this team has found multiple different ways to win. And really, it's led by the defense. So we talked about it last week on the show, Blake, about how the Kansas City defense has come alive over the last month or so, and they've really carried the burden on their shoulders. They've picked up the offense from week in to week out. And even though the Kansas City offense was incredibly efficient and incredibly effective against the Raiders, it was still the defense that led the way. Teron Matthew had one of the best games, if not the best game of his entire career on Sunday and shows why he is the emotional leader on that defense for the Chiefs. The fact that they forced the kind of turnover numbers that they did, the fact that they held the Raiders to three points going into halftime just tells you all that you need to know about the way that this Kansas City defense is playing, not in just in this game alone, but over the last several weeks or so. And then, of course, it was great to see the way that the Kansas City offense really came alive you know there's been a lot of I don't want to say criticism but just a lot of comments made about Patrick Mahomes and the offense over the last month and one of the things I was watching uh, ESPN Sunday NFL countdown uh, Sunday morning prior to the game and they did this whole breakdown and it was Rex Ryan talking about Patrick Mahomes and talking about um, not critical of him but just saying some of the things that he's noticed from Patrick Mahomes prior to that game against the Raiders and things like, you know, just throwing the ball behind receivers that are open uh, or missing receivers by a step or, you know, whatever the case might be, just things that we're not seeing, we're not used to seeing from Patrick Mahomes he put all of that to doubt or put that to bed on Sunday against the Raiders 20 of 24 super efficient numbers he completed the vast majority of his passes and he looked sharper than he has looked all season long you add that to the fact that the receivers for Kansas City it was like they got glue back on their hands again. They were holding on to their catches, unlike we've seen through most of this season. So Zero all, drops. Yeah, zero drops. And, and altogether, just a, a complete effort on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that was, we, we talk about, a statement win and I think the last time the Chiefs played the Raiders in Las Vegas I think we called it a statement win and I think that was the truth but this was really truly a statement win the Chiefs moved to nine and four they have complete control of the AFC West now and you know they are one of the top teams in the overall AFC and could be battling for a number one seed so altogether, yeah you walk away from that game Blake it just feel really good about where the Chiefs are
0: 89 to 23. That's the total points scored between the Chiefs and Raiders in the last two games. That's uh, I mean pretty good. You couldn't, and you could not pick a better team for the Chiefs to embarrass not once but twice than the old <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders. The rivalry is back. How silly could a group of men being then to dance or meet or whatever they were doing on the 50-yard line on the Chiefs logo like how many times does that just go poorly? Almost every time. And in a rivalry, nonetheless, uh, love to see that the Raiders got embarrassed. You know, I, Tommy, you started talking about the defense, and, and to me, that was always going to be the biggest concern. Uh, yes, the offense was definitely off track in the beginning of the year, but you just you kind of felt, and I think there was a point where I started to get nervous, but you always felt... Man, it's still Pat, it's still Kelsey, it's still Hill. It's still the same talented bunch that has done great things in the past. The ability is there, they'll figure it out. But even if they do, the defense was looking so atrocious in the beginning. And I'm sure you guys touched on this throughout the year, but with those injuries that were in place, we had, you know, essentially we weren't able to put that uh, the starting 11 combination really in effect for for quite some time and then even after that you know it took some time for guys that were you know held or not that were playing but weren't exactly healthy i think you know frank clark uh obviously chris jones was playing with a hand um you know all the corners that were kind of in and out of the lineup for a little bit so even when they were coming back not being fully healthy you finally get that squad together you let them play and really since if you look at since they played the Tennessee Titans that embarrassing loss where they lost 27 to 3 they've given up 17 7 14 9 nine and nine that is incredible I mean they're averaging essentially aver- they're giving up 10 points a game since that embarrassing loss to Tennessee it's great to see this defensive unit really come together and if you if you could erase that first, I don't know, five, six games. If you just look at the, an isolated shot at this last half, you'd be saying this is one of the best defensive units in all of football. Now, you can't. You can't erase that first half. So it's going to be somewhere and, and in the, the middle, And the strength right? of schedule
1: has gone down a, a couple notches.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. So somewhere in the middle, but that's fine. If the offense ascends back towards the top where they belong, even if they're not the best and the defense is progressing towards the middle to, to you know a little bit above that, Kansas City's going to be fine. And frankly, I, I think the biggest thing, too, is the defensive line play. Night and day difference for me on what you're seeing out of Frank Clark, what you're seeing out of Chris Jones. Uh, it really, I mean, those two, I mean, the group as a whole, but frankly, those two have looked incredibly dominant. And I don't know how many episodes of the Keeper of the Games podcast I've dogged Frank Clark. So I have to <laughs> I have to come on here, you know, when I get the chance and say, look, he's played fantastic. He looks like, the last four games, I'd say he looks like I've never seen him play for the Chiefs. And that's including that playoff run uh, when they won the Super Bowl and he looked good then. I would say this last four games is the best he's looked in a Chiefs uniform. And and it's unlocking the defense as a whole, in my opinion, when we're now getting to the quarterback with just the front four. Hey, Weston, do you think...
2: I was just going to ask real quick because we, you know, Blake, you and I have talked about this quite a bit on the show and I want to get Weston's take. How big of a deal do you place on Chris Jones being moved back to what his original position should be? I mean, really, the, the beginning of the season when you saw the biggest struggles from the Chiefs defense was when he was playing on the edge. Right. And then they move him back inside and then all of a sudden it kind of seems like things turn around. Do you put a lot of significance into that?
0: I go back and forth on this because essentially, so when he moves back inside, he plays he plays a three technique, which is off the shoulder of the guard. When he was at, at defensive end, they don't always flip-flop to strengthen more formation, so sometimes he's playing a five-tech, sometimes he's playing a nine technique, sometimes he's playing a six technique. It really does, I, I know that sounds like small little differences, whether you line up on the, sh- the shoulder of a tackle, head up on a tackle, or inside shoulder of a Tackle or inside shoulder of a guard, but it makes a big difference. Um, Frankly, the the five and the three are pretty similar on how you attack that pass rush and play the position. Um, But a six technique and a nine technique are very different. And then also, I think there's something too when you go from every single down playing in this three technique position, now kind of having to move around a little bit. I, I think that makes a difference. I think there's a hesitation. He's thinking about how am I supposed to play this. Front, how am I supposed to play this look that's coming at him at me instead of just reacting like he's done every snap at three tech because he's played that his entire career? Um, so I think he would have figured it out, but there's no, there's definitely no doubt that three tech is his strongest spot, and, and you can just see that the results are certainly there. I think it's a combination of moving back to the three tech but also adding Frank Clark who's providing pressure, because it doesn't matter what technique, what position he's playing, if he's being double teamed or being chipped or have a running back shading his side, you're just not going to be effective. You've got to have somebody else on that line to relieve that pressure, and he's finally getting that, so that's been a big help too. Well, and
1: the the big thing for me, I think, is that those guys – while they have not been productive and they weren't productive last game, they combined for only one sack. But if you look at the pressures, they got the most pressures by far of anybody on the chief's defense. Jones had 10 Clark had seven Wharton and Okafor had more sacks, but it was those two guys who are getting car out of the pocket, who are making him uncomfortable. And can we also just say one quick little tiny word about the secondary and maybe one about Dan Sorensen, who had a pick six last week. He forced <laughs> an intercept, basically forced an interception this week. Rashad Fenton was the only defensive back that gave up more than 50 yards in coverage as Carl went six for six for 53 against him. So Sorensen had an awful start to the year. But he's not getting beat like he was earlier in the year. Now, is that all because there aren't quite the weapons in these last few games on the outside? Certainly not the weapons that we saw at the quarterback position. Maybe, but I think that it's fair to say that Daniel Sorensen is benefiting some from the increased play, the increased production in terms of pressures up front. And I think he's also playing better as well. You know, the the secondary. Tyron Matthew, obviously, he deserves a lot of credit. As, as Tommy said, you know, that the, the performance that he had yesterday is one of the best regular season performances, maybe the best regular season performance he's ever had as a Kansas City Chief. So he, he's been unbelievable. They need to take care of him. They need to get him here. He needs to be the defensive Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. If they can make that happen financially, I think they need to wiggle things around to make that happen financially for the long-term viability of this, you know, dynasty that Chiefs fans thought we might have. But, you know, give a little bit of credit to the secondary as well because they've played much, 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 much better. And, you know, having Dan Sorensen not just leaking out there like a sieve has been a big part of that, and he gets credit for for patching up those holes here these last few weeks.
2: Yeah, you know, Dan Sorensen didn't magically just become amazing, you know, from – the first four games to the last, you know, seven, that's not really by
1: the same token. He just didn't get awful overnight. Not that he was ever the best corner. I don't think anybody was ever calling him, you know, the next Deion Sanders or maybe even the next Dale Carter for that matter. But he didn't go from being, you know, serviceable, a key cog of the defense to just being totally unplayable. You know, that doesn't happen.
2: But there have been some other guys that have stepped up too. That you know oh, you don't you don't hear their names you know uh, very often at all. Like you mentioned, Tershawn Wharton and Mike Hughes. I mean, that guy has come out of nowhere. I feel like this year to really be a key contributor. Willie Gay. I mean, just all the different Gay guys been, on that defense. And you know what? And I got to give Weston props because. You know, and I'd love for you to speak to this a little bit, Weston, but we've mentioned Willie Gay a few different times this season on the program. And I feel like and maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but I feel like you were all about Willie Gay coming out of the draft. I and, and really just what he's been able to do uh, from that linebacker position this season, especially. I mean, he's been a key contributor. I think he will be for for years to come.
0: Yeah, they are so set at linebacker. I think with Nick Bolton and, and Willie Gay. I mean, the way that Willie—I mean, his athleticism and Willie Gay is who I'm talking about. His athleticism is just—I mean, picture perfect for what you want out of a linebacker in today's NFL. That his speed just allows him to really provide coverage all over the field. Um, and at the same time, the man's got a little dog in him. He can get up there and, and knock around, set the edge like he's supposed to. And I think that's the part for me. That I, you know, you just don't know until you get to see all the games. gone. you know, does he have that ability to go and set the edge? Doing it in college is not the same as as making that read. Everything happens just a little bit faster in the NFL, and he has. He's done it time in and time out. And then really with Nick Bolton, um, you know, he's going to be that that run stopper next to Willie Gay. And frankly, he Nick Bolton is is excited as I have been for him this season. He's only going to get better when he can move over to that Mike linebacker after Anthony Hitchens leaves this off season. Um, so it, it, it's been fantastic. And to that point, I, I think this is a. I, I want to kind of wrap it back into you guys talking about Dan Sorensen because, frankly, so many Chiefs fans, and I, I, and maybe I don't know if you guys discussed Steve Spagnolia on this podcast, but boy, Spags has done a fantastic job. <laughs> in the beginning of the we probably the year, haven't talked about but,
1: him enough in the turnaround, things, honestly.
0: Right, things were rough, and maybe some of that is on Spags, but there are some adjustments that you can see, and maybe, and I'm sure, I'm sure there's some people out there that'll say, "Well, people were calling for it." I don't think Spags is hearing the noise on Twitter and no. this and that. Maybe a question or two from a reporter, but other than that, Spags isn't. So you got to give him credit. He moved, he moved Sorenson out of the starting lineup. To me, that was the biggest thing to ever help help Dan Sorensen because he's great at certain things. And being able to bring him in in packages is so effective for him. Juan Thornhill comes in, and boy, that guy, i tell you what. So he's playing, Thornhill playing the free safety spot. Typically that free safety is more your coverage guy. You know, he he's going to rob. He's a thumper. He has been just hitting people. I love to see that. So anyways, you replace... Uh, Sorensen at that free, because really uh, Sorensen's more of that strong safety type that Tyron plays. You want to play him in the box, you want to limit his coverage to certain packages downs and distances, and that's what they've been able to do, and it's really unlocked his potential so that you're not having him out there on third and long or on a second and long where he's now matched up with a slot receiver, somebody he's never going to be able to keep up with, you can package him in and out of that lineup for when you know that offense is going to put good matchups on the field for him. So that's been fantastic. I, I think I think Spags has made some really good adjustments um, that, that really need to be, you know, deserve some credit for this, this defense's turnaround. Short turnaround
1: and head to L.A. for the Chiefs to take on the Chargers. 7-20 in a matchup for division supremacy. A Chargers win ties up the records and gives L.A. the sweep of the season series. This is a very rare, very big Thursday night matchup on Fox and NFL Network coming up this week. We don't often get big Divisional matchups that really, really matter. You can get sometimes some clunkers on Thursday Night Football. This is not going to be one of them this weekend, guys. This is going to be must-watch TV for Chiefs fans. Um, So one final thought as we look at the Chiefs and Chargers game coming up on Thursday. Once again, the winner is going to be in first place in the AFC West. They'll be tied in the standings, but the Chargers will have the tiebreaker on the two-game sweep in the series if they beat the Chiefs. Uh, That was one that took us by a little bit of surprise, but... I know, Tommy, at least are you, and then uh, Weston will go over to you, but I know that they've got a quarterback that you have a lot of respect
2: for. Yeah, Justin Herbert uh, is kind of an ascending star, I feel like, in this league and, you know, doesn't get, I don't feel like, the the credit that he he deserves with this being his second year in the league and is really, honestly, his first full season uh, in the NFL. I think he's going to be around for a long time and and do some really special things there for the Chargers. But, you know, the, the two things that I'm most interested for Kansas City in on this game, uh, number one is the running game uh, for Kansas City and you know. Clyde edwards has been back. This was his second game returning from injury. You know, he was okay. Uh, 10 attempts, 37 yards on the ground in that game against the Raiders. But Derek Gore uh, is someone that, you know, of, of course he broke a huge run for that, for that touchdown for Kansas City. And, you know, when the Chiefs have been able to bring him in, in, in special situations, he's been very, very effective. And I think uh, between him and Daryl Williams really have solidified that backup role running back for Kansas City. And so I'm interested to see what his usage will be like and really what the the split will be uh, in, in ball carrying for the Chiefs on Thursday. And then the other thing is, you know, we mentioned it just briefly at the very beginning of this discussion, but the offensive line, uh, I think is continuing to find its way. It's, it's better. The offensive line is better By far than what it was a year ago, Um, you know, Creed Humphrey, I think is going to be, you know, he's not somebody that we talk a lot about on this show, uh, but he's a special player and will continue to be that for Kansas City, you know, Orlando Brown, I think is someone that I at least had high expectations for, Uh, you know, he's a pro bowl offensive lineman. There were a couple plays I watched him get pushed pushed around uh, against the the defensive front for, for Las Vegas uh, on Sunday. So I'll be interested to see what the offensive line can do, especially uh, against that that potent defense that the Chargers have. So you know I think it's going to be you know obviously a, a tough game that the Chiefs have. You know kind of the monkey on their back with the Chargers. They they lost that first matchup uh, in Kansas City, and so you know yeah they look to go to the road and and hopefully extend that uh, that divisional lead. So. I think it'll be a good game, but I'm really interested to see those two things.
0: I think you could see both running backs to that point, Tommy. Both uh, Clyde and Daryl rush for over 75 yards apiece. Uh, LA's run defense has been very, very bad this year, and we've seen uh, Kansas City really recommit to their running game, and, and as folks have been trying to take away that deep ball um, you know, and play this high you know, cover twos or this uh, two-high safety over the top of everything, but they've really ran the ball really well. So I think you could see both guys rush for over 75 yards and maybe one of them going for at least 100. Um, With that being said, I I think for me, I'm going to circle back to Willie Gay, Tyron Matthew, and Daniel Sorensen because I think those three are going to really be the key to shutting down the Chargers offense. We have um obviously Justin Herbert I I echo everything you say he's incredibly talented and and you know Keenan Allen and and Mike Williams there on the outside but frankly the corners have done pretty well and I'm I'm not overly concerned not to say that I don't think they'll be effective I'm just not as concerned about that is where I think the Chiefs get hurt is if Austin Eckler gets loose and it's not as much turning around handling him handing him the ball but really throwing to him out of the backfield, he's been elite at that all year. So really seeing Willie Gay in the flats kind of shut that down. And then obviously I think in a more, you know, manned up situation, you might you might see Ty- Tyron, you know, on him out of the backfield, potentially Sorensen. I think that might be a situation where you kind of want to package Dan out of that. But certainly he's going to have the flats in in zone situations Um And certainly he's one of those instinctual players that you'd love to see him go, you know, make a a quick read on on a ball that gets thrown out there in the flats to Eckler and trying to, you know, uh, make a quick break on it and maybe get one going the other way. So I think really shutting down Eckler in the passing game is going to be the biggest advantage to stopping the Chargers this weekend or this Thursday.
1: The one thing that I am looking for in this game, I think looking at Josh Gordon, what is his offensive utility going to be for this team? You look at the Raiders game. Nobody had more than four targets in this game. They finally got Josh Gordon into the end zone. He got three targets, two catches, nine yards, one touchdown. So I'm interested to see how Josh Gordon is going to be continued to to be integrated in this offense by Eric Bieniemy, by Andy Reid. That's one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing. Once again,
2: well, will he play Blake? Because it sounds like he's on the COVID
1: list. I mean, as of today. there, to me, there's really no point in even talking about it because who the hell knows? You know, like he could come off the list tomorrow or they may say, you know what, he's going to be done for the rest of the year. So uh, show up on Thursday, you know, and and we'll find out. Obviously, you know, things change so much because you can if you get two negative tests in a certain amount of time, you can test out. And, you know, I don't know what his vaccination status is. I assume these, you know, I I don't know. It's not even worth my time to discuss, honestly, just because there's so many things that we don't know. But anyway. Thursday, 7:20 kickoff on Fox. Big Thursday night matchup for the Chiefs and the Chargers. Next up, the Tax Act Texas Bowl. Kansas State heading into the postseason. Kansas State and LSU, the Wildcats heading to the Texas Bowl for the third time in program history. Kind of a weird one here, folks. Kansas State playing this game on Tuesday, January 4th for an 8 p.m. kickoff. The game is on ESPN. Kansas State played in the inaugural version of the game in 2006, losing to Rutgers. They also played in 2016. They beat former conference rival Texas A&M. Chris Kleiman, the only coach to lead the Wildcats to two bowl games in his first three years as the head coach of K-State. K-State leads the country in bowl appearances since 1993. Of course, the Wildcats, 7-5, and five, facing 6-6 six and six, Louisiana State. Tigers' second Texas Bull appearance comes in with plenty of momentum after a 27-24 upset win over number 14 Texas A&M. The Wildcats, on the other hand, appeared to be ready to turn things around, power into the playoffs, go in on a big winning streak, but they were stopped in back-to-back games by Baylor and Texas to win the season on that two-game losing streak. It's kind of a, a right now, Tommy, And then we'll go to you, Weston, for your thoughts on this. A tale of four seasons. Kansas State started out of the gate a little shaky, but they got three wins. They played the heart of their schedule, the, the, the part of the schedule that every Kansas State fan and every analyst and everybody looking at this team circled those three games against the Bedlam rivals and Iowa State. And Kansas State lost all three of those games. Then you have the winning streak as they played down to their competition at times Uh, thinking specifically of that texas tech game is the one that really pops out to me because i think that they're way better than one point better than the red raiders this season at least um and then these back-to-back losses obviously baylor is much much better than we ever thought that they would be coming into the year so give baylor credit i'm not saying that it was a bad loss to lose to them 20 to 10 but uh the, the texas loss was disappointing in how that happened for Kansas State. What do you feel like Kansas State football, not necessarily looking big picture here over the next three or four years? You can if you want, but guys. But uh, what do you think Kansas State football is right now, Tommy, as we head into this postseason bowl game next month?
2: Well, you know, I really think that uh, this bowl game on January 4th is really important for the momentum of this program. Mm. You know, it's been quite a while since Kansas State has won a bowl game. You have to go all the way back to 2017. That was the last time that Kansas State won a bowl game. Chris Kleiman is 0-1, in bowl games, uh, losing 20 to 17 versus Navy back in 2019. So you know, I think it'd be good for this program, good for Chris Kleiman to show progress with this program by getting a, a victory against a an, an SEC team in LSU that is only. You know, a couple of years removed from a national championship victory. Now, obviously, this program is is not nearly as good now as they were when they won the national championship. That's a given. However, there is the allure of it being an SEC team. The allure of them playing a program like LSU. Although there is some um, you know transition going on with that LSU program away from at uh, origin and into Brian Kelly taking over uh, that program next season. But you know, I, I think that. for For the Wildcats, uh, you want to be able to signal to your fan base, you want to be able to signal to your administration, to incoming recruits, people that you want, you know, stakeholders in the program, that this program is moving in the right direction by not only becoming bowl eligible uh, and that that's a great stat that Chris Kleiman is the only K-State coach to be you know to take the team to two bowl games in, in his first three seasons that's great but I think you want to signal a little bit more momentum and progress by getting a victory against an SEC team in the Texas Bowl so you know I, I put a lot of importance on this game I think it's going to be very important for the future of the program
0: you know, frankly, I kind of look at this season and and this maybe makes some Kansas State fans mad, but I feel like this is kind of where they're always at. They kind of always feel like they're about seven and five, eight and four, well, I eight mean, nine and three season here and there. Let's be but, fair. I mean, d- we, Snyder we, had we, it rolling for Kansas. a few years,
1: but I, I get lately. Lately, yeah, I will say yes, but not
0: kind the- of. That's kind of my point, though. Is yeah, there was a few years where they're rolling, and I think this program has everything it needs to to be a perennial, and especially now that Texas and Oklahoma is leaving, a perennial Big Twelve contender year in and year out. Um, but it just feels like it's always just about right here. So I, I don't know. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's consistently winning. They're consistently every year eligible for a bowl game. They're consistently above 500 every single season. It's just kind of just waiting for that next step. Or or to your point, Blake, maybe that maybe that next step back to where they had been where, you know, maybe every year you're actually talking about Kansas State being a big twelve contender where sure. now it's like I mean I don't think anybody would be surprised if they did, but you're not expecting it. Um, you know, so that just kinda of feels where it is. But I, I think you're right, Tommy. I, I think this bowl game is, is so important for, for Kleiman to, you know, get a win. And really, just the momentum rolling into that offseason, into that recruiting period, and against LSU, where there's going to be eyeballs. There's going to be big eyeballs on this game, I think, because of LSU, because of the whole Ed Ogeron, uh, Brian Kelly situation. Like, I think LSU is just a hot, you know, TV item. Oh, definitely. So, I think there's going to be a lot of people watching this game, and the perfect time, the perfect time for K State to put their brand out there to show all those undecided kids you know, hey, about, about Wildcat football and about that program and about the, the purple and purple and white, I, I think it's the time will be a, a fantastic game. And, and even though it's not, I know it's the Tax Act Texas Bowl, like that doesn't have the appeal as other bowls. I think with this opponent and the timing of it, where it's kind of a standalone game, I actually think it's a really good opportunity for the Wildcats.
1: It'll be a Tuesday night. It'll be weird because it'll be – after the college football playoff games, after all the New Year's six games have been played, but before the national championship game is played. so it's kind of in that that no man's land, I guess you I guess you'll say, but you you are right. it'll probably be the only football game available that night and football's always a draw. so it, it will have that going for it. The offense guys has been an issue all season. Several of the key games have been decided by that. It certainly was not good enough against Texas and Baylor kind of elementary against Texas Tech, and in my mind, cost Kansas State against Oklahoma State to a lesser extent against Iowa State. LSU, kind of the -the middle-of-the-road SEC team, allowing 25 points per game. They're 7th against the rush, 10th against the pass, but as we know, Kansas State has not done a great job challenging teams vertically. They're 4th defensively, but just ninth offensively. We rave about the Wildcat running game, and Deuce Vaughn, God bless him. He's an AP first-team All-American, second-team All-Conference, extremely deserving. Their first AP first-team All-American in 14 years, and he deserved it, but their running game was average. They were seventh in the Big 12 in rushing offense, not even a top-half team. LSU leads this series. Brian Kelly's eyeballs are going to be on this for sure. And Tommy, this is a LSU team that wasn't that far away from having a pretty darn good year. Four of their six losses have come against the top 25. LSU's got two top 25 wins. And I know Florida's fallen out and fallen down a little bit, but three of their losses have been one possession game. So it's not, you know, this isn't going to be a game that Kansas State just walks in and and shows up and and wins over the Tigers, I think. uh, This was not that far away from being a, a much, much different kind of season for LSU.
2: Well, you know, I think that one of the biggest things that LSU is going to be looking at defensively is absolutely stopping deuce vaughn and that's been a big challenge for k-state all season long has been just kind of a one-dimensional offense especially when skylar thompson was injured and will howard took over we talked about it all season long that there just really wasn't a whole lot of effectiveness with the k-state offense and I think, you know, going back to that question about where do we want to see K-State moving forward, Deuce Vaughn is a dynamic player, and he's going to continue to get better. He's only a sophomore. I mean, he's going (laughs) to get better and better and better, but offensively for k-state not just in this bowl game but also next season and beyond you've got to figure out how to make your offense a little bit more diverse and yes. by that absolutely throw throwing the, the ball
1: find some receivers and so
2: when you look at defensively for lsu you know they are going really all they have to do in my opinion is focus in on what deuce vaughn brings to the just table the box because and
1: make, make we- somebody throw the ball over you
2: I mean, really, K-State has not shown this season that they're able to do a whole lot of that otherwise. So really, that's going to be the game plan defensively for LSU. I think that's one of the one of, if not the biggest uh, hurdles that K-State has to overcome in this bowl game and then into next season before they can make that uh, that big next step.
0: Yeah, and from a defensive standpoint, I really, LSU doesn't – they don't really do anything that impresses me. I don't think there's one thing that you say they're a lead at, but they definitely throw the ball more than they run the ball. Um, you know, K-State, K-State's state – I don't know, lucky's a weird – I don't like to say that, use that word when you're talking about injuries, but they're avoiding uh, Kayshaun Bout, who got injured um, really late October when he rolled his angle. He's their number one – LSU's number one wide receiver, so they, they've really Keishon got – Boutte. Kind of – Butte, there buté. you go. You gotta uh, got to say it a, with the Cajun yeah, flair. boote b- Well, I'm not going to make the Brian Kelly mistake and try to go and <laughs> and put any type yeah, of weird accent not. on on the LSU. Not, probably not a good that. move. Uh, but they got Bet and Beck and Jenkins and a couple other guys. I mean, they don't. They really just don't have at least in my opinion, they don't have that one playmaker that scares you. Uh, Tyrion uh, Davis-Price
1: you know, is approaching a 1,000-yard season on the ground. He's averaging five yards a carry with six touchdowns. So, you know, he's a guy that the yeah, Wildcats will right have right. to account for.
0: Yeah, and I guess and, and here I was saying that they're more of a passing team. And, I, I mean, they really do. I mean, that's really what they do. More than I don't know. I mean I guess you got a thousand yard rusher, you got a thousand yard rusher, but you know, it's a little different in, in college football than when you're looking at an NFL type schedule. But sure. um, you know, I, I think this I think this Kansas State defense, you know, there's not a they are not overmatched by any means. I mean, obviously no. they're the favorite, so I'm not saying anything crazy there. They're you know, they're a one and a half point favorite according to Vegas, which is pretty much just a pick um um at at this point which kind of surprises me a little bit but you know sec bias there they're always going to get a little bit of favoritism there so i think kansas state defense um can really come out and and i i think they've got a good opportunity to to shut shut down and i kind of expect this to be a, a low scoring game all the way around
1: Jack Besh is also going to be available. He's the other top receiver, Max Johnson, their quarterback. 60% of his passes completed this year, 27 TDs and six interceptions. But as you guys have mentioned, not anything really explosive on that LSU team, Uh, and especially with Boutte out, that's going to hurt them. So we will see how this turns out for Kansas State once again after the new year on the 4th of January, ESPN for It's going to be a late one for you fathers, you two fathers out there, to stay up for this one. 8 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. We go now to a segment that I did not believe at any point this year that I would enjoy in any way. But I am going to enjoy it. It's the KU football season in review. And if you would have told me 2-10, 1-6 in the Big 12 was going to be what we were talking about, I probably would have said, whatever. There's, There's nothing interesting to talk about. Move on to next season. This segment takes about five minutes, and we're done. But the 13th consecutive losing season In each category for the Jayhawks turned out to be a lot more interesting of a two-win improvement over last year's 0-9 disaster than I thought it would be. Of course, the Jayhawks were 0-8 in the Big 12 last year. It was a stretch down the end of the season that provides a little bit of hope for fans in Lawrence that meaningful college football may not be so far on the horizon from Memorial Stadium. The season did not start well. A lethargic win over South Dakota, blowout losses to Coastal Carolina, Baylor, and Iowa State. Jayhawks made a game of it at Duke, which, you know, Duke, who cares? They're not very good. The shocker, of course, was October 23rd when the Jayhawks shut out the number three Oklahoma Sooners at halftime. They could not hold on to the second and a 12-point loss. Of course, Tommy and I wrote that off very quickly when they were absolutely destroyed with a pitiful performance at number 50 at Oklahoma State the next week. Another loss in the Sunflower Showdown. But KU the next week, thanks to a change in quarterback due to injuries, dropped 57 on the Longhorns in an overtime victory on the road in Austin, ending a long 50-plus game road, losing streak in the conference. And after that, KU showed that it was not a fluke. They lost their last two games of the year at TCU into West Virginia by a combined nine points. Two games that could have very easily flipped the other way. Tommy, this season brought us Jalen Daniels and Jared Casey. Kenny Logan is going to be coming back. Big news defensively. He and Kyron Johnson off the defense were all Big Twelve second team. I believe this is the end of the Kwame Lassiter career, which is very sad because it turns out if you give him a legitimate, real quarterback, apparently he is actually pretty good if you get somebody who can throw him the football. So it's too bad that we wasted him during this you know, period of dysfunction in KU football. Tommy, your thoughts on a football season that had the record that we thought that we would have, but I don't think, based on our talks going in with our season preview of Kansas football, maybe not the feelings that we thought that we would have about KU football at the end of 12 games
2: well one of the playmakers that you neglected to mention is devin neal who really provided a spark offensively running the football uh for kansas down the stretch um I, I i really i think the thing that i'm most excited about having weston mills on this program this week is i've heard it from blake i brought it up to blake but i want to put weston on the spot here because I don't know if you remember this, Weston, but when the coaching search was going on for KU football, there was only one of us on this podcast. Oh, my gosh. That was one on this 100 percent on the Lance Leipold train. This
1: is so Weston. It interview. wasn't
2: it wasn't Blake. It wasn't you. It was me. And I've heard this guy. Blake tell me that I was correct. And I'm just waiting to hear that from you on the show.
0: I have no problem telling you you're correct, Tommy, because I also was on Lance Leopold. I was just on no, Jeff Munker. No, you weren't. I was just on Jeff Munker more. That's all. Or I'm sorry, Monk Uh Yeah, I yeah. don't think we ever so, said yeah, no, Lance Leopold's hey, going to be fine. a
1: bad high. Did, did Weston, did, did re- refresh my memory. Did we ever say, you know, this Lance Leopold no. guy is an idiot. We need to just throw him off of a ship and rather than let him get to Lawrence. I, I don't recall well, saying Blake-
0: that. Blake, I think you were ready to say every and all candidates were idiots until proven otherwise. <laughs> You—that's where you were at with Kansas football. Yeah, wasn't likely, wrong. Which is, I, I get it. I get it. But but no, Tommy. Kudos to you. So I'm going to let you let you go back in on on what you've seen out of Lance Leipold.
2: Yeah. No. I mean, I think first off, I appreciate that. But um, <laughs> the, there is a we've talked about it before. A legit. Um, I feel like momentum going on here, legit progress happening with this program. You know, we saw it uh, towards the end of the season, and and not just the victory against Texas, but you go back a couple of weeks prior, how the Jayhawks hung with Oklahoma, very nearly knocked them off inside Memorial Stadium. Followed it up with the Texas win two weeks later, and then we saw strong performances to end the season. It's not uncommon. For Kansas football over the last decade, to here and there grab a win from the jaws of defeat, it it, it is it's happened before. Uh, what's the old saying? Even a blind mouse can find cheese once in a while, or even a stopped clock is right twice a day. Like that sort of thing happens. What doesn't happen is sustained growth with this Kansas program. What doesn't happen is the Jayhawks having week after week after week of competent football being played and that's what we saw in the second half of the season. Keep in mind that Lance Leipold wasn't hired until this spring. So he was behind the eight ball as far as time to assemble his staff, time to get his team together and prep for the season. And so he was really he was working on a lot less time and I feel like if you had given if he was able to have that normal off season to get the team ready. We might've seen this progress a little bit sooner in the season. Now, obviously it's got to translate into next season. It's got to translate into recruiting. It's got to translate into wins on, on the scoreboard and not just these moral victories of, yeah, we feel better. Yeah. We think that we actually are watching some good football. Now we've actually got to see the team win, but I absolutely believe that this team is heading in the right direction.
0: Yeah. Uh, you got to feel good, and really about the competitiveness to me. I mean, obviously, the two wins feel good, which is goofy to say. Two wins feels good, but but that's where we're at, that it did. But really, it's more the competitive competitiveness that you've seen. The fact that I would sit down on a majority of weeks, start that game, and think, okay, we've got a shot. Like, we, you know, we can maybe win this game. And then you watch a majority of the game and feel like, until really the last few minutes, you felt like there was a chance. That happened more games than not, and that feels like a huge step forward. So yeah, you have to love that, and and I know uh, this will bore Blake to death, but really I think that translates in, into recruiting, and I think that's going to be a huge step forward as, as Leipold can bring in his guys, get these recruiting classes in. They can see, I mean, what before, you know, and I I admit, hand up. I was excited for less less Miles because I thought it's a name that helps recruiting, but you know what actually helps recruiting? Winning. Or being more competitive. When guys can see and you don't obviously to get those top-end recruits, you got to be a contender, right? But but these guys are smart. These these kids coming in, they can analyze a program just like anybody else. They're watching college football like anybody else. They can see when a team is making improvements and say, "Hey, I want to be a part of that." And the other thing too that I think is going to be interesting to watch moving forward, if Lance Leibold can get this program in a spot where they're, you know, winning games, I really think this transfer portal I think it's actually kind of having the opposite effect on what a lot of people thought. I think a lot of people thought, "Oh my gosh, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, they're going to get richer." I think kind of the opposite is happening. I think those programs that used to their quarterback number 2, quarterback number 3 on that roster would normally be buried on that roster, and now those kids say, "Well, shoot. Why don't I I'm go somewhere where this I can true play?" Exactly. And you're in a program like now, I think it does hurt the smaller schools, but I think the power five is in a great position to say, hey, you that's third on the depth chart at Michigan, come play, come start for us, come start three years for us at Kansas. Or like we saw with Jason Bean, you know, and an example can be all over the place, but hey, you at North Texas or at UTEP, come to the Power Five and be a star and get ready to go on to the NFL. So I think where it really helps is the the mid-tier Power Five. And I think that Kansas could be in a position to really benefit from that if Lance Leipold can continue this momentum uh, with the program.
2: And it's actually already happening. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that Craig Young from Ohio State entered the transfer portal to Kansas. He, he committed to Kansas on Monday. And, you know, he was... I don't know exactly where he landed in the depth chart defensively for Ohio state, but I think he was a four star prospect and, uh, I think if you took what he did at Ohio State and you compared it to the defensive output for Kansas, he ranked only behind Kenny Logan, uh, and he's coming into Kansas (laughs) next season because maybe he wasn't getting the playing time that he wanted at Ohio State. So, I mean, that sort of thing is already happening. And if if Lance Leipold can continue to utilize that transfer portal while still going out, I mean, because keep in mind, like, all the way back in the Charlie Weiss years, you know, really the only two options that Charlie Weiss had was doing high school recruiting or going to JUCO. And he cho- he chose to win the, the- go the Juco route more often than not, which really set the program back. But now you've got this transfer portal where you can basically go out and you can get the cream of the crop, you know, whenever you whenever you want it for more or less. So uh, I think that that's going to be, I agree with you, Weston, a huge selling point for Kansas in the years to come, like. Why? Why be third or fourth on your depth chart when you could come to Kansas and start? So I really think that's going to be big. It's going
1: to be very interesting because there is the potential for still a lot of. Um, shake-up in terms of the landscape of college football, how exactly all, you know, I think it would be naive to believe, even though it seems like things have settled, have we seen the last of conference realignment? And I know that we have talked a lot about, and Tommy, I still think, believes that the Big Ten is the best home for Kansas long-term. Here's a counterpoint. Does being in the Big Ten really help Kansas football? Do we really believe that Kansas football is ever going to be a major player, a major contender in a conference like that? If you're in the Big 12 as it's, we believe it's going to be comprised with the four schools coming in, that's a league. I'm not saying that KU is going to be a favorite. I would never say that KU is going to be a favorite. But that's a league I look at and say, you know, KU can compete in this league. KU can maybe bubble up and win a couple of conference championships in this league. Does it hurt basketball? Yeah, of course it will hurt basketball to some degree. Not be versus being in the Big Ten. Although that new Big Twelve is going to be a very very good basketball league. But I think it's very interesting just based on how things will come around, how that will work out with Oklahoma and uh, and Texas leaving. Kansas State I think is going to get some benefit out of this as well because you look at the power teams that are coming in there's no reason to think that Cincinnati is going to go away I think Cincinnati is going to be a very good program Central Florida has proven that they can compete to get into the group of five. Cincinnati's going to be playing for a national championship here in a few weeks. Houston was a loss away from playing for a national championship a couple of years ago. So it's not like these three teams are coming in. They're going to be ahead of Kansas in the pecking order, no doubt about that, and probably bring them bring them young as well. These are all programs that have pedigree or recent history. But you look at where Kansas would be in this new league and – you know, it's not impossible to see that, you know, KU could be competitive. To that end, Tommy, and then Weston, your take as well, what do you think is the metric for next year? You say, okay, well, now we've got the two wins. We have positive momentum. Now we've got to do something with it. We've got to start winning games. You know, Iowa State's thinking that they're going to come back next year. I think that Texas Tech thinks that they're on the rise. Not every team is going to be good. Okay, you look at the Big 12 long term, obviously the, the the teams that I look at long term for success in the Big 12, Oklahoma State's going to be the giant in football in the Big 12 after the exodus of Texas and Oklahoma. So starting next year, Tommy, what is that barometer? Is it three wins? Could the same record be acceptable if all the games are close like the last three were? How do you how will you judge this team? What are your expectations and then Weston for next season?
2: This is going to be a bold take. Um, I think that, in my opinion, we're at a point. The metric is bowl eligibility next year. I genuinely believe that. Wow. Now, do I think
1: that's that's
2: pretty warm? I don't know if that if that constitutes a hot take. I said it's a bold take, but I don't think it's a hot take. Uh, I think that the way that this team ended the season. And I think with the progress and the momentum that this program has, for the first time in forever, I think that this team has the potential. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying that I would necessarily put money on the fact that they're going to be bowl eligible, but I think this team has the potential and the talent, and finally the coaching to be able to get to that point. I mean, you take a look at the non-conference schedule. You take a look at what the Big 12 is rolling out there. Have you take a there look at the
1: non-conference schedule?
2: There are a couple – I'm just saying, I don't, I don't think they're – I don't. I don't – like I said, I'm not going to put money on the fact that they're going to be bowl eligible, but I, I think they've got the potential. That would be the ceiling of where this team could be next year. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, give it three or four years. But I just think with the way that this team ended this season, crazier things have happened.
0: You know, I I, I think maybe goal is better than metric. Like, I think bowl eligibility is immediately the goal of Kansas football. Sure. Um, for, for me, and I, and I, I completely understand what you're saying, Tommy, but at the same time, I think for me, and it's, it's a cop-out answer, but I I guarantee you it's the conversations that's going on inside Kansas athletics is just continued growth. So, so Blake, I, I think kind of what you were saying is it's the answer is kind of all of it. Like, I think, you know, if they win three games next year, but get blown out in all the others. I don't know that that's necessarily great. I agree. If they win, you know, if they win two games, I mean, you certainly, you certainly want to see the the wins increase. But now all of a sudden they're competing with everybody within the conference. We're talking three point losses, heartbreaks here and there. You know, that's going to be growth that can be measured. It has to be improvement. Um, but I, I do think I think the wins is probably I, I think hitting four wins. Is going to be important next year. I think doubling your win total. I think the goal immediately, and I don't think it's unrealistic, is to be bowl eligibility. you know their their non-con is they've got they've got Duke. That's a winnable game. They've got Tennessee Tech. That's a winnable game. And interesting enough, uh, they've got Houston next what year. What happens if the non, Houston's a conference game next schedule.
1: year?
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's the very interesting to see how how that shakes down, um, but. Houston, that's a, that's gonna be a tough game for Kansas, but that's gonna I, be a I, tough one. For Kansas. I mean, the way they played, the way they played in the Big Twelve. I mean, I don't, and maybe that's to me where you've seen the growth in the program. I don't go into that game thinking, oh God, do I even need to watch this week? Like. I'll be excited for that. Game. Sure, I don't. I won't expect Kansas twenty, but I will be excited. Uh, so I, I think that's kind of where it is. I, it's kind of a cop out answer, but I just think continued growth. And I think I, I think Tommy's right, at least on the the standpoint of I think this team can be realistic with themselves, saying, Hey, we're trying to be bowl eligible next year. I, I, I absolutely think it, that that's the. I think they can have that internal goal. I
1: think that's the conversation that Lance Leipold will have. Absolutely the as a metric for the program i think that that's that's insane and this is the reason why i don't know how kansas can improve enough defensively to make that a realistic metric because kansas defensively was so bad this year they made strides offensively there's no doubt about that but special teams was not consistent this year. They had blocked kicks. They did not hit enough kick. They did not make enough kicks and they did not create big plays on special teams. The offense just needs to continue progressing, continue working with that quarterback, continue going to Devin Neal. I should have hot taked myself for not mentioning him at the, at the front there. So that's one on me. Um, but the defense, Tommy. Well, why didn't the you? defense uh, honestly? Because I reloaded and it was still on preview. I actually did uh, hit it. I'm and sure. It went to life. Sure. <laughs>
0: can we get a can we get a hot take horn now? We we want. That, oh God, right? you know People it's just it's just,
1: I just it just won't do. I won't fire. I don't. I, wow. I don't know how that's working. Yeah, it's weird. God. I just, I just can't figure this out right now. But Tommy, the defense was so bad last year. The defense needs to make not just like little baby steps or just continue progressing. The defense needs an overhaul. They've already fired two coaches. Maybe this guy from Ohio State is going to make a difference. They've brought in more guys. The two guys they fired were a part of Les Miles' system. So I understand that they are making changes. But there is so much that needs to improve defensively. They had those two guys that were all league, and everybody else needs to either be replaced or get demonstrably better. So I think defensively, that's going to be a big, big, big headwind for any progress that KU could make in terms of bowl eligibility next year.
2: I mean, I agree with you, and, and I said this in our in our season preview that, that were uh, KU's defense would be you know the worst in the Big 12, the, one of the worst defenses in America. They were the worst in the Big Twelve, by the way, and, and and you know they they were. But I also think that some of it has to do with the fact that the offense was so anemic that the I defense agree. was on the field. Way more than they had any business being out there for. And, and so as we start to see this offense continue to improve, the running game with Devin Neal, Jalen Daniels, looks like he's going to be taking the reins as a starting quarterback next year. At least I think 1, that probably all lobby for that for sure. Um, you'd like to think that this team can start to have more sustained drives, keep the offense on the field longer. And protect that defense a little bit. And I think that the more you do that, some of it comes down to conditioning. Some of it comes down to how big these guys are compared to, you know, the, like the, the defensive line compared to how big the offensive line is when you're playing in Oklahoma or a Texas or whatever the case might be. So if you've got an opportunity to uh, be off the field and to get a little bit, uh, get some rest from time to time, I think that's going to help your defensive numbers as a unit all the way around. So I think that'll help, uh, you know, for sure. But I I don't disagree with you. You know, you've got to look at some... Wholesale improvements, some big-time changes defensively with your personnel, if you really want to take that next step. And I think that's that's got to be where Lance Leipold is. And looking. one
1: thing that you had said as well as we wrap up here is, you know, the fact that this probably wasn't really even the system that he wants to run. This was right. What the the this is the personnel we have. We have to play this way. And so now they can they have a full off season. They will have spring football. They'll have a full year to recruit. They only got hired in April. And again, to correct the record, I understand that recruiting is important. It's the lifeblood of a college football program. The only difference is I don't care to talk about the individual recruits at all until they've actually played a college football game. I don't disagree that college recruiting is important. It's the lifeblood of the program. But until they're on campus and they actually suit up week one, they could be named, they could all be named Jimmy and Joe for all I care. Doesn't matter until they actually well, play it down.
0: And the only thing I want to add to just and kind of segues perfectly from from this too is you know this is college and not the pros so the guys you have you you do see drastic improvement usually from year in year out I mean those freshmen that are just not physically gifted enough to compete in the big 12 are going to get bigger they're going to get stronger they're going to get faster as opposed to the NFL it's like you know the guys you have I mean yeah maybe there's some marginal improvements here and there but for the most part those grown men are they're they're, they're who they're going to be right so kind of the combination of all this Bring in a couple new coaches. Maybe you get a couple guys from the transfer portal. Sure. You certainly expect the continued physical growth from some of these young guys that were playing, and hopefully that shows some improvement for the defense next year.
1: September 3rd. I mean, I think we are all believe it. it should be a 1-0 start to the year for the Kansas Jayhawks hosting Tennessee Tech on September 3rd. Final segment of the show, news and notes number two we did our first one last week this will be a college basketball edition not quite a full segment on these but stuff that we thought that you should know it is our last show of the calendar year 2021 didn't want to go without talking shocker basketball and Jayhawk basketball we'll start with the border war and by the way I'm just letting you guys know now anybody calling it the border showdown will be immediately removed from the show it's the border war and as Don Don Frambro, as he said, it's a goddamn (laughs) war, and they started it. KU led 49-27 at the half. They hung 50 more on the Tigers in the second. They waltzed to a 102-65 victory over Missouri. Looked last year like this might be a decent matchup with KU at the time last year. Obviously a bit removed from their power. Missouri was an NCAA tournament team a year ago, but obviously the tables have turned this year. Javon Pickett, the only Tiger that did much for them when the game was on the line. Four Jayhawks in double figures, led by Ochai Abaji. 21 points. Five of seven from the three. DeWan Harris, three of four from the three with 13. Christian Brown and Remy Martin also scored in double figures. David McCormick, 11 points, game-high seven rebounds. And the big difference, Tommy, and, and Weston was the rotation got a lot more set this game. They played everybody because they beat them by, you know, 50. But when the game was on the line and still somewhat in doubt, there were eight guys that were playing. The five guys I mentioned, Mitch Lightfoot was the forward off the bench along with Jalen Wilson and Jalen coleman lands, Those were the guys that got the minutes for the Hawks. So, guys, I want to focus on this rotation as Coach Self, as he always does. Coach Self so often will get into January and he's playing eight, and sometimes he's playing seven, and sometimes he'll play six. So it's not a surprise as we get to Christmas that the rotation is shrinking, but what are your thoughts, Tommy, on this rotation of these eight guys, and how do you like that? Are there any guys that are not in the rotation that you think should take somebody's spot?
2: Well, I think that you know Jalen Wilson eventually is going to work his way back into the starting lineup. Um, you know, he's still kind of trying to get his footing. Uh, not quite a where bit. he was and from
1: I, last year, for sure. Yeah,
2: but I, I thought he looked good at, at times against Missouri. But let's face it, this team has. So many different weapons. They are such an explosive team. Uh, you know, guys like Christian Brown, who has played out of his mind so far this season, and especially against Missouri. DeWan Harris had a great game against the Tigers too, but Ochai Abaji. I mean, the guy is just a monster. He's our best and player by the, far
1: this year, by the far. The
2: fact that I mean, just the the step that he took from last season to this season, when we all thought that there was no chance that he was coming back, is just absolutely insane. I saw this stat earlier, and it just blew my mind. I'd like to read it. Ochai Abaji leads Division One basketball in points per game twenty four. I'm sorry, twenty two point four points per game, and is approximately. 2,000th in Division 1 in turnovers per game with one. He is the only major conference player over the last decade with 200 points in 9 or fewer turnovers through 9 games of a season. That is mind-boggling. Just what he has done offensively for this team. Uh, I mean, he's the lifeblood of this Jayhawk squad and will be moving forward. There's not a whole lot else that I really want to talk about with the border war because I don't like the border war. Weston knows that we've mm. talked about it quite a bit on the show. I think it's a waste <laughs> of time. Guy. Uh, no, nah, I mean, you can, you can buzz me all you want. I mean, so I I've got nothing. I've got nothing else to say about the border. Well, war. I didn't ask you. I'm going war, to
1: ask you about the rotation.
2: I'm going to cede the rest of my time to Weston Mills because I know he's got a lot to say about Kansas basketball.
0: Well, so just what we'll touch on the border war a second. And the only thing I'd like to point out is that Mizzou lost to the University of Missouri, Kansas City, Kangaroos this year. So I just, I don't know. I just wanted to point that (laughs) out because that's that's bad. That's really bad. Uh, No, so going back to Kansas in the rotation, uh, you know, the only person or only player that I kind of surprised me is not going to get more minutes and, and more Surprised me on name recognition coming into the year, only not necessarily because he's. I think he's just deserving. Is jo- uh, Joseph Yusufu? I really thought he was going to crack some minutes and stuff, but not that. And he hasn't played bad. Just as you guys have mentioned, there's just so much talent on this team. I don't think he's going to get the time. Um, certainly, you know we we also saw you know again Mitch Lightfoot nine points in only 12 minutes. It took. Uh, McCormick 21 minutes to get eleven. He was three of six where not gonna Mitch entertain this argument long term. I just think Mitch Lightfoot a little bit more efficient. So but nice we're gonna see gonna see the time split around there. I will tell ta- I will tell but you this he
1: has been better this year. Mitch Lightfoot has improved offensively this year. But as I ran through the stats last McCormick year. Is what you mean? Huh? Better than McCormick, you mean? Yes, I'm that, I'm saying that. He has been better <laughs> okay, offensively okay. in terms of efficiency of McCormick. But over his career, I went through the numbers last year. They weren't even close. You chose to ignore them, so continue. I'm not going to have that conversation. Fair. I'm not saying okay. there's not a place for so, McCormick because I do think, <laughs> or uh, I beg your pardon, for Mitch Lightfoot because I do think Mitch Lightfoot is doing some good things, especially defensively in terms of shot blocking that McCormick doesn't yeah. give you. I think M- Mitch Lightfoot is going to still be in the top eight rotation.
0: No, and, and that's perfect because here's the thing: I think that Kansas has different at that that number that that five position, that center position this year is they've got McCormick, who's the big body, the post-up, wants to score in a very traditional way. If if an offense gives, or I'm sorry, if a, if a team's defense is going to give them that look, they can play McCormick. If they need maybe a more active defensive player, Lightfoot can kind of step in, do that. He can block, he can protect the rim. He's a little bit more quick-footed, I think, than, than McCormick if you have, have him step out. Neither of them great stepping out, but I think Lightfoot is the advantage there. And then if you need that, that, Five to really spread the floor and shoot that three ball or guard a guy on the outside. Zach Clements looked good. I, do, I think he is going to be just outside the rotation. But boy, is it going to be nice for Bill to have those situational. He shouldn't situational, be. He I, shouldn't I agree. Be. I'm excited. Who are you taking I, out, out for him, for him then, Tommy?
2: Well, I mean, I think that he. I think he McCormick. needs to play. Take some of McCormick's minutes and some of Lightfoot's minutes, in my opinion.
0: But well, frankly, here's and here's where I think the season's going. I do think. I think you're going to end up seeing nine guys playing. I think you're going to see McCormick minutes shrink a little bit. is probably stay about where they're at and Clements's go up. I think you're going to see all three as the game flow and as the situation, you know, really calls for. And and certainly that could mean games where Clements is not, work, you know, he doesn't get anything at all because that's not what the team is giving him. And you could see times where he is getting 10 minutes, maybe 12 minutes like Mitch is getting off the bench or Mitch doesn't see much at all. And it, it Clemens kind of steps in. So I think that's what we just didn't have last, last year is really any flexibility at all within that big man, big man position. If they were scorching a traditional big man, we just had to live with it. McCormick had to play the minutes. Or even Mitch coming in, you know, he doesn't give you that much of a different look than McCormick. But now there is so much flexibility. And with that being said, with Jalen Wilson, really with the extended guards, even the the small ball look has a lot more different options this year. So I, that, to me, is the biggest thing that's different about this year. Um, is really their depth and versatility of the way they're going to be able to play. And I will mention guys, as I was flying to Hawaii had a layover in Denver, was able to get a little future in on the old Kansas Jayhawks. So keep that in mind uh, as we I'm go. going to play for a national season. title? Is
1: that uh is that what you were betting yeah, on
0: there? We, I'm feeling a little 08 vibes here with this team, fellas. What what
1: what action did you get? If you don't mind sharing. 12
0: to 1. 12 to 1. Uh, 12 on to 1. on KU <laughs> to win the national championship, which was probably about uh, I think they had four or five teams with with better or, or with but yeah better odds. So you know I felt like I needed to hop in there and get it early before, you know they, think things kind of went down. on throughout sure. the season. And it's and it's the tournament, so everybody gets decent odds because it's just so hard to win the darn thing. It is. But, um, I just I'm I'm kind of feeling a little L-8 similarities. This
1: I show. think I think they've got a chance. Their offense, I think at at, at times they have kind of gone deer in the headlights like they did against dayton the last few games they've been they've been crazy um just a couple of notes here the one thing i worry about with zach clements is he has not shot the free throw well at all this year mccormick's having a down year at the free throw line but you look back historically mccormick is a very reliable free throw shooter and mitch lightfoot has been a good free throw shooter this year as well and don't discount mccormick defensively mccormick has, Mitch Lightfoot is a better shot blocker. He blocks about twice as many shots per minute as McCormick does. But McCormick had 20 steals last year. He's already got 10 steals in eight games this year. Mitch Lightfoot's got one. So that part of Mitch's game is, is just different. So I worry a little bit about Clements. Clements definitely is the best three point option among all those guys. But I I do worry about the free throw shooting. He did not shoot the ball well at all against Missouri. But you know we'll, we will see. I definitely think depth and and it, heaven forbid that Mitch or or Big Dave get injured. That that certainly will be a big a big help for for KU. The next up for the Jayhawks will be Stephen F. Austin on Saturday the eighteenth, seven p.m. on ESPN Plus. Wichita State got their second double digit win of the season. They beat Norfolk State seventy one fifty eight in a game that. Again, not exactly a standout offensive performance by the Shockers, but again, a game that showed Wichita State defensively is one of the best teams in the country. They're currently 29th in Ken Palm, one spot below the Kansas Jayhawks. However, the Shockers 123rd in adjusted offense. Shockers improved to seven and two. They did shoot 46% from the field. They were tremendous from the free throw line, hitting 14 of 16, and Tyson Tien for threes much more efficient, 16 points on 11 shots. Morris Udeze, he's been steady as he goes, double figures in four straight games, 16 for him. And Ricky Council had a career-high six assists, did a little bit of everything, nine points, four rebounds, two blocks, and a steal off the bench. So, Tommy, this is a work in progress for this team. They started hot, hit 7 of 8, had a 22-7 lead, but then... Norfolk switched to that matchup zone, and the Shockers did not adjust well. The ball stuck. They are not a great team in terms of setting picks, and I don't feel like right now they they just don't move off of the ball with any kind of you know natural feel for the offense. They don't keep themselves in a flow offensively, and it definitely happened that stretch was made. I think that they've had seven-minute droughts in back-to-back games now, because that happened against Kansas State, they went 10 minutes without a field goal. So there is still a lot, a lot to figure out offensively. They came out of it at the end against Norfolk State. The defense is still elite. It's still really, really good. But offensively, there's still plenty to come around, even when Tyson at the end, in this case, Tommy, is hitting shots.
2: Yeah, I had the opportunity to actually be at that game uh, look, look, on, good. on Saturday look at night. at you. Um, yeah, it was my first time in the roundhouse uh, in since a while. before COVID. Wow. So nice. that was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, you know, they were up 22-7. Um, I left to go get a beer and then I came back and they were only up by like three at that point. I mean, just the the way that that offense just screeched to a halt. And I'm with you. I mean, there were several different times during that stretch when there was zero ball movement. And that's been such a big Uh, contributing factor to the offensive struggles that the Shockers have had. I mean, there were people all around me that were yelling, like, pass the ball. Somebody move, like, (laughs) get open instead of just standing around and dribbling the basketball. And that's what the Shockers did far too often in that first half. And they've done that far too often this season. Now, again, they did come back in the second half. Uh, they were able to, to sort of break that zone down a little bit, be able to get the ball to the rack. And you know what? I, I thought they, they fed Morris Udeze pretty well throughout that game. He was you know very effective uh, on the post, which you know he's been all season long. But... Don't forget Norfolk State. They got it down to within, I think, seven or eight with a couple minutes left. You know, so so it wasn't. Yeah, I know that the final score looks a little bit more bloated than what the game actually was. um, But I, I would say if you were to ask anybody in that program, I think a lot of people would say that the expectations so far would be that especially with a lot of these non-conference games, you would like to have a little bit more separation between where the Shockers are at and where their opponents end up at the end of the game. And we've seen it far too often this season. And you and I last week on the program talked about how Wichita State has had a really hard time in the first half this season going into the locker room down or going into the locker room tied or whatever the case might be. You know, they were only up, I, I don't exactly remember remember exactly what they were up at halftime maybe five or six points at halftime that sounds about right but it wasn't but it, but it wasn't you know like it was a dominant first half performance either so you know again there are some significant offensive questions and issues that need to be resolved moving forward and you know what I, i'm I'm just, I'm not seeing it right now. Uh, and, and that was something, and I love Isaac Brown, and I, I love what he's done for this program so far. But he said after the Missouri loss that they were going to go back to the drawing board and try to figure out how to get that ball moving a little bit better. And they did it times against Norfolk State, but not consistently enough that I think Shocker fans would be happy with. So there's still a lot to work on offensively. We all know how they are defensively, but um, that's definitely the Achilles heel right now.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that's spot on, too, because it feels like as Tyson Etienne goes, as team goes, which isn't anything groundbreaking to say, but that with the way he plays, he can kind of generate offense on his own, and I think his teammates and, and really the team as a whole sometimes can get stagnant because they just assume or want or think that Etienne's just going to get his, and really, if you look at a couple of the games where they've struggled, you know, uh, obviously the loss of Kansas State in the Oklahoma State game, um You know, he just didn't show up like like he traditionally does. And so looking at ways for either other players to generate their own offense or the offense as a whole be able to generate points without having that guy that you traditionally, you know, that traditionally can come down and just get buckets or shoot the three ball like like he's done so well and so consistently throughout his career. Um, I, I still just think this team has all the makings that they need to really put together a very, very nice season um, in this conference and, and really looking at the tournament further ahead. But, um, you know, I don't I don't know that necessarily anything about the Norfolk game or recently is really going to show us where this team's going to be. It's, it's just so typical with college basketball, right? You can look back on a team and go, man, that team back from December or November, boy, how differently are they, you know, now come February or the start of March um and I think that I think that this team some of the struggles they're going through now are things that are very correctable you talk about changing the flow of the offense or just kind of lighting the fire under a few other players whether it's Dexter Dennis or I really like what you've seen at times out of, out of Ricky Council that guy can just go get a bucket but he just shrinks sometimes and doesn't do it and I and I I think those are all fixable things, right? Those are all fixable things within a season. Those aren't things that you need an off season to, to really go and figure out. So I, I'm just not at all worried, and I, I still really like the direction of this team.
1: Yeah, I, I understand the frustration that some Shocker fans are going through because I think when you look at, in terms of offensive play and the playmaking ability, when you look at guys like Etienne, and Udeze and Pleasant and Council. I think that this team is as talented as any as the, as the Shockers have had outside of maybe the Final Four team. So that team had Van Vliet and Baker and Anthony Early and that team, you know, in terms of offensive, you know, ability and shot making was, you know, unbelievable. They had the, the part, Carl Taylor, was that? Taylor was the guy inside, I think. They, you know, they they that, that team could just flat out play offense. They were really good, but for whatever reason, WSU has just not put it offensively together consistently, but yeah, I've I've heard grumblings about Isaac Brown on Sports Talk Radio, which I think is, let me be clear, I think it's laughable. I think it's a joke, honestly. Um, Isaac Brown is the right guy for this program. It is okay to be a defensive team. It's okay to to you know, only score in the 70s, I, I don't have any problem with the pace that they're playing with, honestly. Um, the, their pace is it, it's slow. It's like 200th in the country out of, whatever, 330 teams or whatever it is. So they're, they're on the slower side. I just feel like they need to be a little bit more efficient, efficient with how they get to 70 points. I think the pace that they're playing is fine. I don't think there needs to be any radical departure. So I do, to a certain extent, understand the frustration because you know you want to go up and down real fast but I just don't think that's the shocker team the shocker team's going to lock you down maybe they'll get to a point where they could score more in transition off of their defense but right now I think you're going to get a lot of these 70 to 55 70 to 61 kind of grind out slam it out kind of games and those are going to be the games that Wichita State has to play And I think those are the kind of games that they're built to win.
2: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you know, you get into this time of year uh, and and you talked about it when we were mentioning the Jayhawks about how Bill Self is getting that rotation down. And that's something that Isaac Brown is working on too. You know, you're figuring out exactly who is going to play, what the system is going to look like as you get into conference play. This team will look different in March than it does right now. Uh, every team looks different in March than they do in December. Things start to tighten up in conference play. And, you know, so this is an opportunity for Isaac Brown to tinker a little bit more with exactly how this team is going to operate offensively. Um, you know, that the, the conference play begins soon and, and they're going to have to get it figured out.
1: Wichita State. Um, I don't have
0: anything. Uh,
1: yeah, I got nothing. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say normally that's the part where Weston leaves us hanging, and glad to see that that <laughs> hasn't changed. Wichita State hosting Alcorn nothing. State. Uh, that'll be today as you are watching or listening to the podcast. 7 p.m. You can watch that game tonight on the Plus. Just a couple more pieces of business, and guys, it's time to bring back that tradition, unlike any other, just in time for the holiday uh, holidays. As I will go ahead and hit the music. Time for our Wichita whip around. A couple of stories here. We get three stories this week, one from each of us, a story from the Wichita sports scene that maybe we haven't covered and that you should know about going into this week. Tommy, we will start with you. We'll then go to Weston. What is your whip around for this week?
2: Yeah, I'll make it really quick. Coke Arena has been chosen as one of the regional sites for TBT, the basketball tournament, in 2022. We obviously remember the last time that TBT came to Wichita. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It, it's going to be the third time that Wichita will be a host city. All games will be on ESPN. The championship game will be held in August in Dayton. Uh, of course, the Aftershocks will be back. Connor Frankkamp and Richard Kelly will be members of the roster, along with Zach Bush. Uh, he'll be the team's head coach and co-general manager along with John Robert Simon. So that'll be a lot of fun and looking forward to TBT again coming back to Wichita.
0: I'm going to go south of Wichita to Winfield. As we all know, I consider that part of the Metro To give a big shout out to the Bound Builders and wide receiver Keyshawn Jones as he was named NAI All-American for the second year in a row. And I have no idea on this stat, but I think it's been a while since we've had a back-to-back All-American. Keyshawn Jones had 68 catches for 1,062 yards and 13 touchdowns this year as the Builders made it back to the playoffs this year uh, for the first time since 97, I think, or, or it was, I mean, it's been a long dang time and uh, I watched that game, should have pulled it out, but big shout-out to the Mountain Builders, and in particular, Keyshawn Jones, as he was an NAIA All-American this year.
1: Don't worry. Shout-out, SC. Don't worry, I'm here to bring it back to actually Wichita, the Shocker <laughs> women's basketball team, 8-2, after beating Grambling State 77-47 on Saturday afternoon at Charles Cook Arena. Best start in school history, matching the 23-14 team and a few other teams that have done this. DJ McCarty, a season-high 18 points. Asia Strong scored 15. Mariah McCauley rebounds, 49% from the field, 6 of 11 from the three, and Grambling Shot, just 33% from the field. They are in North Texas to play North Texas on Friday, a 6.30 p.m. tip-off. This was a team that we thought needed to make some strides this year under Keith Adams, and it appears that they are. Finally, guys, uh, we'll start with you, Tommy, then Weston. Any additions, corrections, or retractions before we head off for the holiday season?
2: I do have a correction for you, Blake. You mentioned when we were talking about Kansas State in the bowl game against LSU that Brian Kelly would be focusing on Deuce Vaughn. Brian Kelly will not be coaching in this bowl game for LSU. It will be Brad Davis, since Ed Orgeron left the team. Brian Kelly will not begin until 2022. So Brad Davis is, I believe, the defense offensive line coach. I I, I got that wrong. Offensive line coach Brad Davis will be coaching the Tigers in the Tax Act Texas Bowl. That's my only correction for the show. Let me
1: correct your correction then. I did not mean to imply that he was going to be coaching the team. I said that he would be watching the team specifically because you better believe that he'll be there to watch and see the talent that he has on his roster to evaluate things for next year because that's what every coach does when they take over at this time of year. Weston, anything for you?
0: Hard to believe that I've been out of the game for so long to come back and pitch a perfect yeah, show, but yeah. dang it, okay. I did it, us. It was fantastic.
1: Yep. Couldn't even get through it with a clean face. Sure. Uh, <laughs> finally, guys, it is the Christmas holiday season. As we mentioned, this is our last episode before we uh, before the Christmas holiday. It'll be our last episode of the 2021 uh, calendar year. We'll be back either that first or second week in January with. Uh, will that be season three, Tommy, of the Keeper of the Games yeah. podcast? Episode 89. Boy, not that far away from episode 100 of the COGPOD, by the way. So you can check f- check for that. First or second week of January, we will be back with you. So we'll be off for the holidays with our families. And uh, Tommy, this was your idea, so I'll let you lead off. Tommy thought it would be fun to go around the room and see if we could ask one thing from Santa, a gift for the 2022 calendar year in sports, what would it be? So, Tommy, what would you be asking for under the uh, Christmas tree this year?
2: Well, the one thing that I would ask Santa for in the world of sports that I would like to see him bring to all of us in 2022 would be a return to relevance for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, You know, I got uh, my my world championship with the Atlanta Braves back in October. They're my number one team since they got the championship. Now it's time for the Royals to get back into that relevant uh, circle. And so uh, that would be the one thing if I could wish for anything for Santa to bring would be a successful 2022 season for the kansas city royals
1: weston how about
0: you so what i need santa to do is bring me something in 2021 that's going to help me for 2022 i'm going to need him to bring me either a colts or bills victory over the patriots and a either a steelers or 49ers victory over the tennessee titans so that the chiefs can wiggle their way in after all this big talk about is this team falling apart wiggle their way into that number one season at the start of 2022 for a nice little super bowl run weston i hate to
1: tell you this i don't know if you've been that good this year (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's very true i don't know
1: i don't know santa's gonna be looking at that list and saying mills mills Mill? Do we have a Mills on this list? I don't know about <laughs> that. Right. That's asking a lot. Uh, my listen here,
0: keep Hold on. We need to ask the keeper of the game, listeners. I know there's some of you out there that probably qualify for that wish. Somebody else got to bring in the same wish as me, so we can all get that number one seed in Kansas. City. I
1: mean, I I wouldn't turn it down. I'll tell tell you that. Um, for me, I think it's very easy. Uh, you know, it, it's been a while. I remember what it was like in 2008. I remember what that feeling was like. To finally taste that national championship that had eluded us so much. And we kind of got screwed out of it a couple of years ago in 2020. A team that I'm not saying would have was going to win the national championship. Because, you know, it's the hardest. Which is why so many people come up to me and say, Oh, Bill Self, how is he? You know, he's only won one championship. KU basketball. They've only won three NCAA titles. It's the most fair champion, unfair championship in sports. It's the hardest one to win where the best teams get the least advantage and have to win the most games in order to win it in all of sports with the the least margin for error because you have to win six games and you can only lose one game and you're out. I would not mind a national championship for the University of Kansas men's basketball team. That's what I want for, for 2022. So Santa, if you're out there listening, I don't know if I've been good enough either, but uh, that's what we would all like to see. And actually, I kind of like your guys' wishes too. So if all of our wishes come true, that'd be. Although Weston, if you're gonna wish for something, why just? I'd rather go to this. I'd rather go to the playoffs as a wild card and win the Super Bowl. Who cares about the top seed? I have my heart ripped (laughs) out for by these guys as the number one seed. Enough. I don't need that to happen again.
0: Yeah, I I hear you, but I'm up here in Kansas City. I'd like to attend one, two, maybe three uh, games in Arrowhead.
1: So there you go. There's another part, another Weston whip around. It's all about Weston.
0: A little selfish. I'd (laughs) I'd like to get a nice little tailgate at Arrowhead going. So come on, Santa, you can bring me that tailgate. That's what I'm looking for.
1: That is our show, and that is our season of the Keeper of the Games podcast. Weston, thank you so much for hopping back in with us. Great to have you around. Merry Christmas to you and your family.
0: Happy to be here, boys.
1: Once again, we will be, and I don't know if you guys coordinated this. I don't know who's going to say the thing at the end of the show. Now that'll be interesting. I'm not. We're not even going to discuss that. <laughs> That's all you, Tommy. I'm just going to let it That's happen. All you uh, this is our last show of 2021. We'll be back, episode 89. Check us on, of course, on Twitter at CogPod to follow along. Like, you sh- like, share, and subscribe. Give it to a friend. We really appreciate everybody who's supporting us for both of these seasons. And we're back and going to be excited to do it once again. And we'll be exclusively, well, we're going to talk about Kansas State football and the Tax Act Bowl, obviously. But after that, heavy Chiefs. Heavy college basketball coming back in January. Very much looking forward to it coming up when we start episode uh, 89 and season three of the Keeper of the Games podcast in 2022. And so we will see you then. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and yours. I guess we'll let Weston plug himself on his social media, I suppose. So, so Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, uh, where can they find you on Twitter?
2: You can follow me anytime at tweets from Tommy. And I just want to get it in real quick. Uh, Weston, number one, thanks for being back on the show. Number two, why don't we say that in line together? We will time <laughs> it out. We'll say it together. So we'll just, we'll join together in holiday unity, I guess.
0: I, I can handle that. And you guys can find me at W Mills 94 for all the wonderful takes that I still, still bring to the sports? Table, even though I'm not on the podcast, even though you're not on the podcast. You know, I, I, you know, I would tweet like every once every week or two weeks. Usually it's oh, wow. about the, the stupid targeting rule in college football, but that's uh, usually what, <laughs> this is what a stupid I'm rule. getting worked up about.
1: Of course, I am yeah. at B E Crips on Twitter, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. That's it. Season two of the books, season three when we talk to you next year on The Keeper of the
0: Games. Take care, guys. Take care. care.
1: Wow. That was was a
0: great way to end the show, guys.
1: Absolute fail. So uh, we will end you. We'll just end the, the third season with this. Both you guys. Terrible. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.